Gaza cannot be ignored anymore. And Gaza needs to be centered in the in the within the, the movement for Palestinian rights. And uh, it is also very important, you know, for us to build these connections beyond the, the, the world of Palestinian advocacy and, and politics, as Rifat said, our struggle overlaps and intersects with many other struggles around the world and that's what we're trying to do uh, by putting this book out there and by putting these stories out there uh, knowledge entails responsibility and i think this is what this book uh, tr- uh, tries to do this program is brought to you by haymarket books as part of our live event series haymarket books is a radical independent publisher dedicated to connecting social movements with the ideas they need in the struggle for a better world. You can help support the Haymarket Project by buying books at haymarketbooks.org and especially by joining the Haymarket Book Club. By joining the book club, you get all new Haymarket titles delivered to your door and a 50% discount on the entire Haymarket website, all for one low price. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and the Haymarket YouTube channel to access all of our upcoming events. If you really want to help us out, rate and review the podcast on Apple or whatever platform you're listening on. Hello and welcome to today's event. My name is Jihad Abu Salim. I work as the Education and Policy Coordinator at the Palestine Activism Program of the American Friends Service Committee. Today's event, brought to you by Haymarket Books, is a virtual book launch event of the anthology Light in Gaza, Writings Born of Fire. Light in Gaza is a new book, a wide-ranging anthology of Palestinian writers and artists. The book constitutes a collective effort to organize and center Palestinian voices in the ongoing struggle for liberation. Light in Gaza is a project of the American Friends Service Committee and the product of collaboration between activists, academics, and writers in Palestine, the United States, and Europe. Light in Gaza, Writings Born of Fire, imagines the future of Gaza beyond the cruelties of occupation and apartheid. It imagines what the future of Gaza could be while reaffirming the critical role of Gaza in Palestinian identity, history, and liberation. The anthology includes essays and poems by Palestinian authors and writers, Asma' Abu Mizyad, Mus'ab Abu Toha, Shahd Abu Salama, Durgham Abu Salim, Salim Al-Qudwa, Rifat Lar'ir, Basman Al-Dirawi, Yusuf Al-Jamal, Isra' Jamal, Noor Naim, and Suhail Taha. In their chapters, essays, and poems, the authors explore the central question. Can a better future for Gaza be imagined as part of a broader vision for ending the Nakba, the catastrophe that befell Palestinians in 1948? By ending the Nakba, through return, restoration of rights, and achieving justice. They share their analysis and reflections on Gaza, on Gaza's past, present, and future, based on their personal connection to the place and its people, and through their lens as experts who are intimately familiar 
with the place that shaped their, their experiences and stories. Some of the authors are in Gaza, and some are in the diaspora, away from home, and others are from other parts of Palestine, but are not allowed to visit Gaza due to Israel's apartheid regime. This book, as a project and the ideas therein, challenged the blockade Israel has imposed on Gaza and represents an example of intellectual defiance and resistance. It shows that ideas, passages, poems, words, and verses cannot be contained and besieged beyond Israel's fences and within Israel's fences and walls. Israel can besiege our bodies, but cannot besiege our minds, spirits, and words. I'm honored to have been part of the teamwork that made this book possible. I'd like to acknowledge my fellow co-editors, Jennifer Bing and Mike merriman Lotz at the American Friends Service Committee and the editorial committee that provided us with incredible guidance and support. I'd like to thank Tarek Bakouni, and Lish, Sarah Roy, and Steve Tamari. And of course, I'm very grateful to Haymarket Books for publishing the book and making it um, and making a dream become a reality. To talk about the anthology, the book, the project, the effort, I am delighted to be here with Rifat Al-Arair, joining us from Gaza City in Palestine, and Musab Abu Toha from Gaza, who's joining us from Syracuse, New York. Rifat and Musab contributed to Light in Gaza. Rifat's chapter is titled, Gaza Asks, When Shall This Pass? And Musab's Exporting Oranges and Short Stories, Cultural Struggle in the Gaza Strip. Rifat Larair is a professor of English, teaching world literature, comparative literature, and both fiction and nonfiction creative writing at the Islamic University of Gaza. He is the co-editor of Gaza and Silence, published by Just World Books in 2015, and the editor of and contributor to Gaza Writes Back, short stories from young writers in Gaza, published, in, uh, published by Just World uh, Books in 2014. And Musab Abu Toha is a poet, essayist, short story writer, and the founder of the Edward Said Library in Gaza. In 2019 and 2020, he was visiting, he was a visiting poet and a librarian in residence at Harvard University. His published work includes Things You May Find Hidden in My Ear, Poems from Gaza, published by City Lights Book in 2022. Musab recently got shortlisted for the 2022 Palestine Book Awards. Rifat and Musab, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. I will start today's conversation about light in Gaza by asking our authors to read excerpts from their chapters in the book and then talk a little bit about their chapters. Tell us about the chapter and its message and how it relates to the question the anthology explores. Can a better future for Gaza be imagined as part of a broader vision for ending the Nakba through return, restoration of rights, and achieving justice? Rifat, the floor is yours. Thank you, Jihad, for having me. Thank you, uh, uh, Haymarket Box. I'm really honored to be 
we're talking about uh, light uh, from card writing for fire I'll be reading short extracts from the ending of uh, chapter Paz asks shall this pass then I'll talk a little bit about my experience as Palestinian to call not in Gaza about the writing this chapter <coughs> The wounds Israel inflict, inflicted in the hearts of Palestinians are not irreparable. We have no choice but to recover, stand up again, and continue the struggle. Submitting to the occupation is a betrayal to humanity, to all struggles around the world. At the end of the day, nothing Palestinians or those who support Palestine do will ever please Israel or the, Israel, or the Zionist lobby. Israeli aggression will continue unabated. BDS, armed struggle, peace talks, protests, tweets, social media, poetry, uh, all are terror in, in Israel's box. Even Archbishop Desmond Tutu was uh, branded a bigot and an anti-Semite. A renowned actor, Imam Watson, was attacked and accused of anti-Semitism for daring to post in support of Palestine's solidarity on the ground. No matter how mild the criticism of Israel's crime or how slight the support for Palestinian rights, the Zionist lobby will attempt to scorch the earth to prevent that. This is further evidence that Israel is not merely after Palestinian armed struggle, armed, armed resistance, but it is also after the very existence of Palestinians. I know that many Palestinians ask if more can be done, if free people can do more to prevent Israel from continuing to commit horrifying crimes against Palestinians. Can popular resistance or armed struggle or BDS or pro-Palestine groups like Jewish Voice for Peace or Black Lives Matter activists or indigenous struggle activists around the world help to exert pressure and prevent further Israeli aggression to bring those Israeli war criminals to justice and to end their impunity? When will this pass? When will it be enough? How many dead Palestinians are enough? How many massacres are enough? I recall in horror and shudder as I write this. I'm exposed, naked, and vulnerable. Sometimes late at night when insomnia hits, I wonder if this or if, if it is all worth it. If anything will ever change. When I was approached to write for this book, promise was that it will uh, effect change, that policies, especially in the United States, will be improved. Honestly, will they? Does a single Palestinian life matter? Does it? Gaza is not and should not be the priority only when Israel is shedding Palestinian blood or mass. Gaza as, Gaza as the epitome of the Palestinian Nakba is suffocating and being butchered right in front of eyes and often live on TV as on social media. It shall pass, I keep hoping. It shall pass, I keep saying. Sometimes I mean it, sometimes I don't. And as Gaza keeps gasping for life, we struggle for it to pass. We have no choice but to fight back and to tell their story for Palestine. Okay. Uh, so this is uh, uh, an extract from the uh, final uh, portion of my uh, essay. Gaza asks, uh, shall, uh, when shall this pass? And I remember when I was uh, approached by Jihad uh, by this chapter, I already had started writing uh, with, with a friend of mine on uh, young uh, Palestinians and how they can take the initiative to uh, lead the struggle 
probably replace the aging Palestinian leadership. And uh, during the war to, in 2021, when Israel uh, started yet another pain of mowing the lawn, uh, butchering hundreds of Palestinians, destroying devastating Palestinian homes and infrastructure, they had. Uh, I, I, I published an article on my experience as a father uh, taking care of my kids, trying to shield them against the pain and, and the suffering, trying to lie them about uh, uh, what's going on, trying to hide their hearts, their eyes, their minds, as much as a, a father living in, in Gaza being exposed to one of the worst uh, Israeli campaigns ever uh, could ever do. And Jihad was like, can you write something narrative? You you like telling stories. And these stories are painful most often, but they are significant. They are they must be told. They, they must be heard. Uh, and as we chatted along, I, I it clicked something clicked inside of me, a series of uh, of, of, of of stories like uh, rosary beads. Uh, popped, uh, you know, almost physically, uh, very vividly in, in my mind and started feeling jihad, some of those, uh, stories and jihad was like, yes, exactly. This is what, what we want. We need some of these stories in order, uh, to, to reach out to as many Palestinian and non-Palestinians around, around the world. And, uh, if you go through the, the chapter, it's, uh, a long series of stories. I, I, I have a very good memory. My friends uh, always complain about that, but this is significant for us Palestinians. Remembering, uh, forgetting is a crime. Sadly, even my earliest memories, I was born in 1979. I think I remember things as far as uh, 1980, 84, 85, when I was uh, four years old and five years old. And all these memories are stained by, even before the, the, the intifada, I tell the story of one night, my father coming back home uh, uh, on his way from occupied uh, Palestine. Uh, he was uh, shot at. He, he was with his friend in his car. He was shot at, uh, was injured in his shoulder. And uh, it was my first experience hearing my mom scream, shriek in the middle of the night. I woke up, unconscious to what was going on. I went downstairs and there was my, my father's car. Uh, uh, Glass shattered and love dripping around. Uh, it was then when I first heard the word, you know, the words Jews and Israelis and Israel and, and the occupation and it haunted me ever since. And as I, I grew up, uh, Palestinian in the first intifada, I, 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 I witnessed first and Israeli soldiers beating up little kids, like almost breaking, sometimes breaking their, smashing their bones. One of my friends, uh, uh, Liwa, about whom I also wrote in, in this chapter, was shot in front of our eyes as we went back home. We were, uh, finishing uh, the day, going, uh, back home, being, you know, the kids we were, and an Israeli settler at that time just got out of his car and shot him from, uh, blank. And this was, I think we were like 11, 12 years old. Seeing this and hearing about this and living with this creates all sorts of trauma, traumas that cannot, can never be, can never be, be fixed. And when I started writing, uh, Liwa's story, I, I called 
a friend of ours, uh, Lewa's cousin, to ask about the exact date and how old uh, was Lewa when he was shot that day. And uh, coincidentally, he happened to be at Gaza, Gaza's Shifa hospital. And he told me that he is with Liwa's mother who had a brain tumor and she was having difficulty uh, being transferred from Gaza to seek medical uh, treatment in uh, Jerusalem or in Spain because Israel is also delaying this kind of, of treatment for many uh, uh, Palestinians. And uh, she passed away later on. Uh, and uh, the thing is that how everything is connected, even when you, you remember your friend, you, you talk to your friend, there is always, Israel does not just bring one uh, calamity, one crisis, one death, one massacre to, one, to each Palestinian family. There, there, there is always a series of, of dramas, a series of, of massacres, a series of crimes that Israel keeps uh, committing. And we grew up uh, uh, usually evading, literally evading Palestinian Israeli bullets, uh, Israeli being caught by Israeli soldiers and having our bones smashed. I speak about uh, uh, this one one particular experience when we were playing uh, soccer at, outside, and then the Israeli jeeps uh, invaded the, the the neighborhood, Shijaya neighborhood where I lived, and then we ran away, uh, and all of a sudden. Uh, the soldiers climbed over the wall, and they were in our in our home. And they uh, uh, make us stand against the wall, and they started checking our hands to see if they are dirty. A sign that we were throwing stones and checking our our hearts to see if their our hearts were were raised, our hearts were racing. And of course, like they say, we are kids; our hearts always race, and we are just terrified that there's this kid, uh, Ryan. Uh, last week, who dropped dead because he saw the Israeli soldiers uh, uh, breaking into their, their their home, and we had to be beat up, of course, because our hands were dirty as uh, any twelve-year-old or eleven or ten-year-old would be, and our hearts were were racing because, of course, we have these giants in front of us holding the the, the huge M16 of the past Intifada, and and. And, and I speak about these experiences and many, many others. And in, in the second intifada, when Israel grew even more uh, 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 vicious against Palestinians, when Palestinians started being killed uh, uh, like, uh, like never before, Shijaiya, uh, where I live again, uh, every time Israel invaded, at least 15 or, or 20 Palestinians would be killed. And many of these happen to be friends, happen to be family members, people we would meet uh, around the corner the street, we would play together. And when you grow up with all of this uh, uh, trauma, this the suffering, the disabilities Israel would bring, would uh, 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 intentionally bring on Palestinians with people losing limbs. How, how, there's always this question, how would you outlive this and survive this. And I talk about how Palestinians usually have these catchphrases, sound bites, like all other cultures, that it shall pass, this shall pass, this shall pass, this shall pass. Every time there is a calamity, there is a crisis, there is a massacre, we, we would hear people uh, being steadfast, being determined, people who, uh, uh, who realize that they have uh, uh, done nothing wrong. The only 
crime they have committed is that that they are Palestinians, is that they are uh, uh, living in uh, on a land that is being occupied and occupied by, by by an army, a really brutal army supported by by by, by the West. Never once uh, 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 do I remember Palestinians saying, "I think this is it. We need to give up, we need to leave, and let those criminals uh, uh, have a free hand at what we own." But please. We, we plant the, the houses we, we build. I, I know many Palestinians and many, I think, uh, know this. Palestinians having to, to, to plant their lands like more than 10 times to build their houses twice, three times and four times, insisting on continuing on rejecting Israeli uh, uh, rules. And then after the second intifada, when I started teaching, lecturing at university, I uh, later on with Israel starting these huge uh, military campaigns in 2008 and 9, 2012, 2014. Every couple of years, Israel uh, uh, taking, uh, taking a decision to start mowing uh, the lawns to put Palestinians in their place, killing and for, for Israelis, this could be just, you know, alone. Uh, scorched earth uh, policy, but for Palestinians, it means the deaths. Of, of thousands, the, 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 the destruction of, of hundreds of thousands of housing of housing units. I speak about how I try to, to make sense, how to educate my students and the people around me using stories, telling, insisting on telling stories. I speak about my experience compiling some of these stories into Gaza Rights Back and uh, helping the, 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 the and my friends around to uh, express themselves in the way, in the most beautiful, most creative way uh, 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 possible. And I, I, I'm, I'm very proud to see even now as I'm talking, uh, one of my students is contacting me saying that she published one of her stories on device. And so this is what the, partly what this book is about. It's about writing, speaking to people, reaching out, gasping for breath, telling people we deserve life, Palestinian lives matter, that Palestinian struggle is part of the, the, the global struggle against uh, injustice, against oppression, against racism, against white supremacy, against imperialism, that we are partners in this struggle and that Palestinians will never ever give up because if we give up today, many will say, look, Palestinians gave up and I think you will give up. That will never ever Happen. Thank you so much, uh, Rifat, for this, for reading uh, this powerful excerpt from yeah. your chapter and for telling us about your chapter and for sharing uh, parts of your personal story, your personal journey as a Palestinian, uh, uh, you know, growing up in and living in the Gaza Strip. Um, a son, a father, uh, an educator, uh, who, whose journey, um, in addition to two other million journeys, uh, each one of them is a story uh, on its own, and each story uh, sums up uh, through the experience of you know a single individual how this how the continuation of oppression, of occupation, of um, of apartheid, of, you know, settler colonialism continues to impact people's lives. Uh, we are a uh, 
you know, Gaza is a is a small place. You know, it's it's uh, its area is around 140 square miles. People know each other. Uh, people, you know, live in this uh, densely populated area, and uh, and you know, uh, sometimes when you live there, when you grow up there, you uh, you. You rarely reflect on your own journey, but it's very important for us to understand uh, the Palestinian experience in Gaza through the the story of one person. And uh, I'm personally grateful because you have taught me and taught, you know, hundreds of students in Gaza how to write their stories, how to express themselves with confidence, with uh, with strength. And and, you know, I think I think, you know, when when someone who teaches people how to tell their stories tells their story it's uh, it's also very powerful um and before i i move to musab and to hear his excerpt from the book and uh his reflections on on his piece on his chapter i would like to remind um uh, our audience that if you have any questions for our guests uh, or for me um about the book or about their chapters or about Gaza, please feel free to write your questions in the YouTube uh, live chat. And our colleagues here will make sure to uh, keep your questions for us to answer in, in the in the Q&A segment of today's event. Um, Musab, I would like for you to read um, an excerpt of your chapter and then uh, share with us uh, why you wrote this chapter, what's the message in it, and how does it connect to the to the broader theme of the book, how a vision for Gaza's uh, liberation as part of broader Palestinian liberation. Musab, the floor is yours. Um, thank you, Jihad. Uh, thank you to, to a big thank you goes to Hair Market Books uh, for bringing this book out uh, to the world. Um, and I mean, no matter how how young or how old one is, I share this fact with uh, my colleague Rifat. Uh, about how how ugly a fact it is to realize that you are living under occupation, living under siege at a later age. So no one ever told us that we are living under occupation until we saw the atrocities uh, uh, in our own eyes. Uh, so personally, I never learned that uh, I was born in an occupied country until I saw a helicopter shooting a rocket into uh, a residential building uh, in Al-Nasr that was in 2000. So my chapter is titled Exporting uh, Oranges and Short Stories, The Cultural Struggle in the Gaza Strip. And I'm going to read from my chapter. Uh, it's on page uh, 179. In March 2021, many of my students expressed how proud they were of Luay al-Basuni a young man from Beit Hanun in the north of the Gaza Strip, who was on the team that created the NASA rover Perseverance that had just landed on Mars. I told my students that every one of them can fly from Gaza to Mars, no matter how many bombs Israel throws on their schools and libraries, no matter how many fingers break under the rubble. I seized the chance and asked them, what do you want to become in the future? They answered, a farmer, a doctor, a horseman, a salesman, a footballer, a vendor. I then asked, no one wants to be an actor, a pilot, but we do not have a theater or an, or an airport. A couple of them replied in unison. 
you can dream there is one and it will become it will come true i told them okay so there is an airport a cinema a theater a library and a seaport with a big big sea one student one student whose voice i had never heard over the previous weeks burst out i want to be a captain the wind stopped howling through the classroom his voice pushed the wind back to the sea far away i want to be a fisherman another student exclaimed and maybe a diver and make videos in the in the deep seas post them on youtube and get millions of followers on facebook i wish i i could be a pilot so i can go with my friends to camp somewhere on an island joined another student in a beanie not a pilot's hat someone asked me teacher if you wanted to travel where would you go to america or europe someone uttered before i could find where the sound came from that sounds good for me i would like to first go to jaffa and see the big tree in front of my grandfather's house i said that's romantic the boy resounded responded we all we all laughed i would make sure to ask all of you to come with me i would also invite my overseas friends to join us for a cup of coffee in yaffa's seashore i continued and maybe maybe ask writer friends of yours to discuss their latest books maybe we can rent a hall in a hotel aha uh-huh. why don't we invite them to gaza wouldn't we have an airport as you have said hmm the bell rang and the children left but the threads of, their, of our thoughts continue to grow until this day we still speak about our dreams during recess and even after classes end when we hear the israeli drones in the sky we convince ourselves that they are videotaping us while we are playing a match with with the winner of the european champions league or dancing dabka as part of a cultural festival in our newly built theater overlooking the harbor um so this part comes at the end of uh my chapter which is which which is again titled uh, exporting oranges and uh and book and short stories the cultural struggle in gaza so i i wrote i wrote this chapter uh especially because of my experience as a founder of the edward said public library um as a child i've never entered a public library because there was no one in my in the refugee camp where i was born um so it happened that in 2014 the israeli uh, warplanes bombed the islamic university of gaza where rifat teaches uh so during a ceasefire i happened to go there to check on the department because i was still a student i was about to graduate in 2014 <clears throat> so i went to the department and and the the one scene that shocked me was uh books under the rubble um and and one one of the books with which i took a, a photo of myself was the northern anthology of american literature which i later uh, learned that it was rifat's <laughs> book i mean this is to admit that i haven't taken the book home i just returned it so i don't uh, own it now um so that book it was something like a spark it it was an invitation for me to start collecting books to find a place where books are in a safe place not in a terrorist place like israel is calling the islamic university of gaza it was a lay a lab they said to make ex- explosive things but yeah books are explosive devices um they teach us how to think um so in my chapter i talk about 
how Gaza is struggling with uh, with with culture, uh, not only because of the the economic situation, but mainly because of the Israeli occupation, the Israeli siege. Uh, so not only have Palestinians been expelled from their homes and ancestral land, not only have they been thrown into prisons, not only have their trees been cut and burned, not only have they been subject to daily killing and humiliation, not only have they been denied the right to return to their homes, but they are also denied access to knowledge and literature, besieged and even inside their homes during curfews and random airstrikes. They are not allowed to travel freely, even though, even through books. If one doesn't get killed by Israel, then life must be made unbearable. And, and I'm talking about Israel, Israel siege, where we cannot get uh, books uh, easily as we wish. Uh, for example, the, the, the book that we are talking about, to which I contributed, is Light in Gaza. And I'm lucky because I'm I'm now currently in the United States uh, pursuing my education. Uh, so I got the book within a week or 10 days. If I were in Gaza at the moment, I wouldn't still smell the, that the book is in Palestine because the book usually just lands in Israel, in Tel Aviv, let's say. And then it spends maybe five, six weeks in, in prison there until they release it. And until you can just lie your eyes on it. Um, there are many examples that I'm talking about in this chapter. Uh, for example, I talk about uh, uh, cinemas in Gaza, how Gaza used to have uh, many cinemas, uh, like uh, Cinema uh, Al-Nasr, Cinema Amir, uh, um, and how these uh, cinemas were closed because of some, uh, I mean, partly because of the blockade parts Partly because of the some 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 thinkings, some different types of thinking of people. Uh, I'm talking about about how people perceive cinema uh, in Gaza. This is a cultural issue. I'm talking about Israel bombing cultural centers, and one one striking example is the uh, uh, Saeed Al Mishal Cultural Center, which Israel bombed in 2018. Uh, but even though Israel bombed that that center. Even after the building was destroyed by the Israeli airstrike, the actors and artists of a group called the Ashtar Theater kept the show going in the ruins. So they kept performing their, 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 their plays, their, their acts, even on the rubble, above the rubble of, of that bomb building. Um, another example that I'm talking about uh, in the book is uh, in, 2000, in 2000, just at the beginning of the uh, second Intifada, I was I was eight years old. I used to go to a huge building that had many shops and cafes near our house. I stood at the doors of the cafes to look at football matches from Spanish La Liga, Italian Serie A, and English Premier League. That was the Italian complex building. However, on August 26, 2014, Israel bombed and destroyed that building. However, the derelict tower once a residential and commercial complex, was given a new life by Ali Al-Jabali, a 26-year-old graphic artist from Gaza, who turned and the destroyed building into an art gallery. Uh, and there is also uh, the TEDx Shuja'iyah, which Rifat was part of. 
so in, two, in October 2015, one year after the 2014 war, a group of young people worked to launch a unique version of the well-known American program TEDx, live from the battered Gaza Strip. The festival took place in a Shuja'iya neighborhood, where Israel had launched a massacre that leveled most of the houses and killed about 74 people. The festival's organizers wanted to show the world that Palestinians, and especially those from Gaza who suffered severely from wars and neglect, have stories worth telling and ideas worth spreading. The event consisted of 12 speakers who presented in English and Arabic. They spoke to an audience of over 100 people about struggle, determination, and success in the Gaza Strip. So the book is talking about, I mean, the chapter is talking about how Palestinians are suffering and how they are trying to overcome these hardships. If you are enjoying the Haymarket Live series, you'll also be interested in a new book from Haymarket, Palestine, A Socialist Introduction, edited by Sumeya Awad and Brian Bean. Palestine, A Socialist Introduction, systematically tackles a number of important aspects of the Palestinian struggle for liberation, examining both the historical and contemporary trajectory of the Palestine Solidarity Movement in order to glean lessons for today's organizers, and compellingly lays out the argument that, in order to achieve justice in Palestine, the movement has to take up the question of socialism regionally and internationally. As Nora Erekat puts it, the book connects the past to our present, and, despite the daunting odds before us, sustains a commitment to a socialist future where all of us are free. Find Palestine a Socialist Introduction at haymarketbooks.org. Thank you so much, Musab, for this, uh, for this great, uh, you know, introduction, which I think it's, it's going, your contribution in the chapter is very important in terms of um, introducing the reader to the cultural scene in Gaza, providing some sort of a historical perspective, uh, giving a context, but also, you know, showing how how complex and rich and vibrant uh, the cultural in scene in Gaza is, and um, and that it's you know. Uh, that there are challenges from within and from without. And at the end of the day, um, you know, we we deal with a multi-layered system of oppression, right? So, you know, uh, uh, th there are challenges that we face within our society that, you know, cannot be seen, uh, uh, you know, cannot be understood without looking at the broader picture, at the bigger picture of how there are layers and layers of oppression that uh, Palestinians deal with on a daily basis. And when it comes to the cultural scene, uh, when it comes to, you know, the challenges that face artists, you know, people who thinkers, intellectuals, academics, writers, uh, they, they grapple with many of these layers of oppression, uh, the physical barriers Israel imposes, um, the, you know, the social challenges and so on and so forth. And all of these issues are linked at the end. Um, you know, uh, I recall, a, a, you know, the brief moment, you know, when Gaza in the late 90s was, uh, you know, slightly open, more open to the outside world. I remember the book exhibitions. I remember, you know, uh, foreigners visiting uh, and, uh, and, and artists from Gaza being able to travel and, 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 and go elsewhere. And uh, those brief moments of relative freedom, relative 
you know, freedom of movement and access, show us what what could happen if the blockade is lifted. What 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 could happen if things change on the ground? And uh, and because you spoke about culture and about you know the the role of culture, the role of of artists, the role of writers, um, and because your area of focus overlaps with that of Rifat's. I would like to go back to Rifat to ask him to reflect a little bit um, about, you know, uh, storytelling as as an act of of resistance, um, especially, uh, you know, from the standpoint of your students, right? You you work with students as an educator. Um, you help them, uh, you know, write in in a language that is uh, their second language, when you know English, and uh, you know you you and and you also like you're giving you're not just giving them uh, uh, you know education. You're also empowering them, giving them skills, giving them um, the capacity to uh, to tell their stories, to understand themselves better, to communicate with the outs- outside world. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience as someone who who helps people tell tell their stories and um, and help people reflect on their experiences through writing? Um, and what can we learn from from uh, your experience as someone who does these things in a place like Gaza? Um, especially when it comes to working with young people. Um, so the floor is yours, and um, and we would really appreciate it if you could speak up a little bit so that we can hear you better. Okay, thank you, Jihad. Thank you, Musaf. Uh, when when I finished my BA in two thousand and one, I fell. On a treasure, I counted a treasure. I somebody brought uh, a, a container, a huge container of box to the Islamic University, and I would go and keep digging box. And there was this very strange box with Malcolm X covered uh, back and spread on the head of Malcolm X before. It was twenty at that time, and I was holding the book, and a friend of mine, Mahmoud, said. Wow, you found this book. I said, I found it, but I don't know what makes it. And he said, you have to read this book. It was a life-changing experience in so many ways, how uh, a, a man could be imprisoned, like not physically later on, being spending years in prison, but being imprisoned in this society community that discriminates against him just because he's... Uh, Black, how he tries, does his best to integrate early in his life, how he becomes a gangster, how he loses his family members, loses every opportunity to become somebody, somebody he wanted. There's this story when he was a child, uh, telling his teacher that I want to, uh, I want to be a lawyer, and uh, the teacher saying, no, oh, I think you'll be a carpenter or something like, uh, like this. And then in prison, there was this thing, the life changing experience was in addition to being introduced to Islam was Malcolm X introduced to reading, to box. 
finding a way out, finding himself, uh, learning new words, new expressions, reading about the, the history of black people in slavery and injustices and discrimination. And uh, I started paying more and more attention to writing. I, I really wanted to write something, anything at that time, but I never found uh, uh, the, the guide the support. I never found uh, the training. Uh, anybody to tell me what, what uh, so I tried to do it myself by reading as much as possible, imitating. The first thing I ever wrote was uh, imitating Jonathan Swift's uh, modest proposal. I just changed a couple of lines to make it instead of about the Irish people under British imperialism, make it about Palestinian occupation. And uh, again, thanks to many uh, websites like Electronic uh, Mundoise uh, and they helped, they encouraged us to write. They published the pieces we wrote, despite the fact that they were, at the beginning, not that good in a sense, but they wanted to hear the Palestinians, listen to Palestinians, especially the young people. 2008 and 9, when Israel waged uh, Operation Castlet, I spent, uh, uh, well, between the two terms, I spent the uh, time preparing for the semester to come. Uh, when I look back, it was really cheesy a little bit, people dying, uh, but I have no, no, nothing to do. I, I, I would spend the, the time telling my kids stories and also preparing for the semester to come, despite the, the, the Israeli promise that Palestinians will come out and will not recognize there will be destruction everywhere. But I insisted on reading, finding purpose in, in and uh, when, when I told many stories to my kids, when the stories would run out, I would try to make up new stories. And I remember stories told to me by my, ma- my mother, by my grandmother. This thing clicked, like how a story could be told and retold by, by the grandmother, by the mother, by the father, or the, the kids, and the kids being distracted for a tiny little bit of moment from the, the rockets and the missiles, the, the destruction, the smell of gunpowder. Gun around us. I, I took a decision to go back to my classes and ask students to write stories, to write fiction or non-fiction, just tell your story or tell the stories of people who have the agency, who have the voice, who have the power language. And of course there was a process, there was a fall. Like we've never written anything, let alone write fiction. We can we can try to write research or article or an academic essay. And what my answer was, I'm here for that. I I have my, some skills myself. I will use all the, the skills I can, all the resources I have in order to make this, uh, uh, to, to teach you, to show you, to guide you. And one of the stories that I started uh, Gazarites back with was by, by one of my students, who's now a colleague of mine at, at university, Hanan Habashi. She came to me almost trembling, saying, I have never written stories before. I said, it's right. You, you're here, you're at university to, to learn. Let's make, take this opportunity, and I'm sure you'll uh, write something else. And her story was fascinating. Fascinating. Impressive in all, all uh, uh, aspects. And that seeing, like you said, you have seeing these people find purpose in story, find hope. The, 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 the student I just told you about, she's a physician. She's training to be a physician. I'm training a group of uh, young Palestinians to write academic writing, content writing. And I always say, look, I'm teaching you this because of the jobs you will find online. 
if you want to work as a freelancer, as a researcher, as a content writer, or something. But there's something about us Palestinians that uh, the, the people around the world want to listen to our stories and the stories of the people around us. And I, I told Siwa, Siwa, you have a very good a chance of becoming a really good writer because you are a doctor, you have so many experiences working at the Shifa hospital. And the message she just sent me, again, keeps giving me the hope that uh, uh, we, we need to do this. We need to do this. She said, she said, it's published. Oh my God, I feel proud of myself. I did it. And, and this, this thing is significant. This feeling that Israel deprives Palestinians of, the feeling of being able to do things, to just drive for two hours to Jerusalem, go eat, you know, grapes in, in Jalil, enjoy coffee in Al Jalil, uh, go to Jenin, meet somebody, meet, meet new friends. We don't have, we are in Gaza, we don't have the West Bank and Jerusalem uh, because Israel wouldn't allow this very, usually, physical barrier Israel adds. Nefisan. So when, when I, when I think of uh, uh, steering my students, uh, the people around me towards this. I know how, how much it means to them, releasing the, these things inside, and also how significant it is to educate, uh, in addition to educating themselves, like you said, they have educating others, reaching out to the world, connecting Palestine, the Palestinians around the world. And the, the other point, the last point, what does this mean? What do we learn? We learn that there are hundreds thousands and thousands, and I would say hundreds of thousands of talents, millions of stories in Gaza. The talents, the, the, the young people here who sadly remain unemployed, there is like 50% of unemployment in Gaza because of seed, because of the occupation. And we talk about the seed, we don't talk just about 15 years ago. When the occupation started, the siege on Gaza started. People come travel, people, many, many people travel, come travel for for, for many, you know, they, sometimes they would lose chances to get education, or at least just go out and have fun and you make, make, make new friends. So these talents can find hope and find purpose. They, they are evidence that Palestine, well, of course, we don't have to have this to, to deserve our freedom and our rights. We have to have our rights because every human being has to be free and has to uh, be treated, uh, 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 so, uh, all Palestinians require, and, and, and this is something I usually talk about. We need to have as many projects as, as, as possible in Gaza. Projects to give people skills, to train people to write, to be writers, to write stories, to write poetry. Uh, the, 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 the poems in Mosafi, for example, you, you read them and it's like, oh my God, these are like really a, a poetry written by. Uh, uh, by well-established poets, you don't. People would like. Can this come out of Gaza? Yes. So many things, and this applies to every aspect: footballers, uh, photographers, uh, uh, writers, teachers, uh, any, any, anything, any talent. There, there, there are hundreds of thousands of these talents. We need to nurture and to take care of. Not only because they give Gazans purpose and hope, but because they educate. Uh, the world about about Gaza. Thank you so much, Rafat, for this. And uh, you know, I and as you said, I mean, I <laughs> I, I fully agree with with the point about 
why Palestinians in Gaza deserve to be free. Uh, we don't have to be uh, to have PhDs in creative writing uh, or in uh, you know or to to be you know uh, uh, extraordinary. Uh, superhumans in order for us to <laughs> to deserve to live in dignity, to be able to to travel, to be able to get medical treatment, to be able to visit our families. I mean, I, I personally haven't had the chance to see my family for almost 10 years now uh, because of how difficult it is to travel and to move and to plan a trip to Gaza from, you know, a place like the U.S., uh, and and again, you know, at the, at the end of the day, uh, Palestinians in Gaza continue to to show that they love life and they value life and they value their potential. And as as someone who you know, uh, as someone who's who has siblings in Gaza, who has friends in Gaza, who who received his education in Gaza and who grew up there, um, as you said. The potential is is really like promising and uh, and impressive, and it's a shame. It's a it's a shame that um, the Gaza is treated as a place that uh, that should be silenced all the time. It is. I think. I mean, if, if I were to describe Israel's approach towards Gaza, it is you know, uh, it is violent and it is you know rooted in 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 these uh, repeated uh, seasons of bombardment uh, but also israel hopes and has been hoping since 1948 that gaza disappears not necessarily physically but also you know to for people there to be forgotten that forgetfulness triumphs in Gaza that nobody pays attention to the plight of Palestinians there that has been unfolding since 1948. The fact that hundreds of thousands of Palestinians were forcibly expelled from their towns, cities, and villages in historic Palestine uh, to be pushed into what became the Gaza Strip, a small strip of land. Uh, where they, you know, they the majority of them would continue to live as refugees since 1948. For you know, in in eight refugee camps, with some of them have the highest population density in the world, just because Israel wants to continue to maintain uh, its Jewish demographic majority. And and of course, you know, this the 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 the, the very existence of the Gaza Strip and. You know, we all talk about this context, right? This historical context, which is incredibly relevant all the time to consider when thinking about Gaza. Uh, uh, I'm looking at some of the questions from from our audiences, and I, we will uh, answer some of them. But I would like to talk to Musab uh, a little bit about, you know, to go back to the 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 question of culture, the question of writing, the question of art. Uh, uh, you know, as as means, as tools for uh, for resistance, for liberation, for uh, for defiance. And you know, uh, when I when I first you know talked to my colleagues about this book project, we uh, you know we thought about this book project as part of a campaign that 
my the organization I work with, American Friends Service Committees, uh, launched in 2015. Uh, the campaign is called Gaza Unlocked, and it aims, uh, you know, it, uh, the aim of the of the campaign is to raise awareness and and push for policy shifts uh, on Gaza. And we realized that, you know, uh, we we tried our best as part of the campaign to, you know, uh, bring Palestinians from Gaza to the United States uh, on speaking tours, on, you know, welcome people. We hosted Rifat, we hosted Ahmed Abortema, and, uh, you know, we, we have a speaking tour about this book uh, coming up soon, which I will talk about. Uh, I'll, I'll share more details about it in, in, the, in the end of this uh, program today. But I want to talk to Musab about, you know, the 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 act of uh, of breaking the blockade intellectually, culturally, uh, through through writing and art. Uh, you, you mentioned some examples in in your book about, you know, of initiatives, projects in Gaza that uh, that struggle to break the siege to challenge the blockade through intellectual production through knowledge production through the creation of art can you tell us a little bit about your experience being part of these initiatives and projects what it's been like for you as as a as a writer as an author as a poet to you know uh, to to challenge all these restrictions you're here today in the united states um, you know, uh, sharing your, you know, talking about your work, talking about your uh, uh, your achievements uh, as a poet and as a writer. Uh, but can you tell us a little bit about the bigger picture in Gaza? What do poets, writers, authors, and uh, you know, and artists do? How how do they challenge these restrictions on a daily basis? And are there initiatives and projects that you would like to highlight today? Uh, and ones, of course, that you you highlighted in your chapter. Yeah, thank you for the question. Um, just before I go and and address your question, uh, I want to talk about um, the book exhibit that uh, that took place in Ramallah uh, of this year. Um, so in two, in May two thousand eighteen, about sixty writers in Gaza participated in the Ramallah book exhibit in the West Bank. The writers themselves didn't participate; just their books. The PA Ministry of Culture applied for permits for the writers, but the Israeli authorities refused to grant them. They even rejected to grant permits to the participating publishers, the former Minister of Culture, Ihad Obsesu, stated. Fortunately, the books did not need permits to participate in the exhibit. So that was in 2018, and I wrote that in my chapter. Unfortunately, uh, this happened again, and this time it happened to, my, to one of my writer friends in Gaza. His name is Saeed Al-Kahloud. Uh, so he's a writer. He has three books. Uh, so he was on the list of people participating in the uh, in this year's uh, book exhibit. So he 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 got the permit, luckily. But when he went uh, to when he when he passed through the Israeli checkpoint uh, in Erez, just a few kilometers away from Gaza, the Israeli one Israeli soldier, maybe it was the driver. I'm not sure. So he he saw the permit paper. That he had, and he said, "Oh, you are from Gaza. Are you still alive?" So Said Said responded by saying, "We we we do not die. We are the salt of this of this earth." So th- that Israeli guy, I, I'm not sure if, if it's a police officer or a soldier or a, a driver. He got angry and he said, "Okay, then go back to Gaza." And he sent him back. And Said didn't make it to Ramallah. 
that time. So even though Palestinians are under the threat of death in Gaza, they are also are silenced. They are not given the freedom to speak their thoughts and their minds. They, they, they cannot, you know, Gazans cannot give up on their, uh, on their land, not, also, not only their land, but also thinking about it. So this is one thing. Um, I'm t- I want to talk about the Edward Said Public Library that I established in Gaza, just very, very briefly. Uh, so I talked about the bombardment of the Islamic University of Gaza in 2014, and I was able to rescue a book uh, and give it to the uh, security guard at the university. So that book was the seed, one of the seeds of many more books to, to come to Gaza, and which were the uh, the founding of the founding books, let, let me use this term, the founding books of the Edward Said Public Library, which in Gaza has now two branches. Uh, I'm, really, I'm really thankful to the, uh, to the supporters of the Edward Said Public Libraries and the endorsers, especially Noam Chomsky, uh, the, the great public intellectual, and also poet Katha Kath, uh, Pollitt from New York, and also the Edward Said family, who supported the library by sending Edward's books and on the first page, there was a stamped uh, gift from the Said family. And uh, to highlight a- another uh, thing is that uh, most of the initiatives in Gaza are being headed by individuals like me. So there is a, 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 a fatal lack of public libraries in Gaza, cultural centers, etc. There, there is no, no Ministry of Culture. There is nothing official that's trying to change this. So it's it's only individuals who are just uh, caring about the future of the generation, the young generation. So if it's if if it's not us, then who? So I had to move. I I, I had to take initiative. And the same thing is with what Rifat is doing. He is doing it because he believes in it. He's teaching young writers to write. He's 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 encouraging them to find their their own voices. And when they find their own voices, they would just teach others to find their own voice. So it's it's, it's a chain of uh, change bringers. <laughs> I, would, I would use this. Um, so it's it's us. It's every one of us. Every one of us can be can be a ministry. So Rifat is a minister of education and culture. I could be one. Jihad, you are one, of course. Uh, everyone who is trying to change by teaching, by spreading the word about what's happening. Not, I mean, when I write poetry, when I write, and uh, so what Rifat wrote in, in this book and what he wrote previously, he's not only talking about himself. I'm not only talking about myself as Musab. I'm talking about others who do not have the means to write. Maybe because they do not have the language to express it. Maybe they do not have the connection uh, to publish this piece. So we are not, we, although we are individuals who are taking the lead, but we are talking not only about ourselves. We are talking about those who not only because they do not have the power of language, like, like talented writers, but because there are many people who were buried under the rubble of their own houses. So they did not have the chance to tell us what happened. So it's, it's our role as writers to create their story, to share their story, because everything uh, would be lesser and lesser than death. So if, if they died, then... I want to imagine how they died, even if I exaggerate some things, because there is nothing more horrible than death. And in the, in the chapter, I talk 
yeah, about uh, different initiatives uh, about the uh, TEDx Shujaiya. There is also there there was also another uh, TEDx. Uh, it was in Arimal, which is another uh, neighborhood in Gaza. Uh, there are uh, people who are taking initiatives in forming. Uh, Uh, book clubs and libraries and cultural centers. And, you know, many writers in Gaza are just publishing their work in bookstores or in publishing uh, houses, and they pay their own money. So there is no bookstore or there is no publisher in Gaza that would help writers publish and support their work. A Gaza needs to pay for the book that he's publishing. And there is no Ministry of Culture that is, I mean, there, there is some support, but this, this is not, that's not enough. I mean, people in Gaza need, one, need an official body to, uh, to support them, at least, I mean, translating their work. I cannot think of uh, a book uh, from Gaza that's been translated into English. Maybe some poems here and there, some short stories. But there is no book that's been translated into English, uh, as far as I know. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, as someone who, uh, I'm in academia, in addition, you know, to this to this work that I do, and one of the things that struck me uh, since I came to the U.S. and I have been, you know, uh, uh, part of uh, academic spaces, uh, Middle Eastern studies, you know, departments, uh, I, uh, you know, meeting and working with and and uh, and getting to know scholars and academics who work on the region uh one of the things that struck me is how limited the 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 connections are between uh academic departments in the west uh, especially in the united states um and cultural institutions uh, uh and uh, and universities and cultu- cultural institutions in gaza and i think and i think this is something that um you know scholars and activists and and authors and poets and artists and people who are active in in the cultural scene uh in the west in general and in the united states in particular uh, they they need to uh, the, you know they need to consider and start working on because you know uh, we should nobody should normalize Israel's blockade and while while we cannot or we we haven't been able to fully uh, you know push for a complete lift of the blockade um, that doesn't justify inaction uh, when it comes to these areas where uh, the blockade can be challenged, you know, uh, intellectually can be challenged through cultural exchanges, even if they were virtual, even if they were happening from afar, um, and struggle to, you know, connect with Palestinian uh, artists and writers and activists especially you know in in the in the in the cultural uh, world in in Gaza and beyond and and Gaza is is a very rich place um every you know every once in a while uh, some grand archaeological discovery is made there and and i think you know the the the, the field of archaeology the field of you know uh, historical excavations and and all of these and all of these areas require 
require incredible attention from the from the outside world. Um, these bonds, these relationships need to be built and maintained. And here we are. You know, I think I think you know this book project does that. It 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 creates this uh, the it, it creates this message from Gaza, from writers in Gaza who are saying, who are writing about different issues, different different aspects of, of the of the Palestinian experience in Gaza. Asma writes about agriculture. Uh, Durgham writes about social issues. Uh, you know, Mus'ab writes about, about culture. Rifat writes about, uh, you know, storytelling and narrative building. And, and how do we talk about this, this, this uh, massive, and, and, you know, inheritance that there is passed from one generation to another of pain and suffering basman isra all of these people all of these contributors they write about different issues different topics different themes but the common thread in the book is that this is that gaza cannot be ignored anymore and gaza needs to be centered in the in the within the, the movement for palestinian rights when talking about you know uh, about what needs to be to be done in Palestine, the Palestinian struggle, visions for liberation, visions for equality, visions for ending the occupation and apartheid, Gaza cannot be ignored, and voices there needs to need to be part of these uh, of these conversations. But also, you know, when, you know, we're, we're, we're talking today uh, through a platform of an American progressive publisher that has. Uh, you know, a large audience in the American left, in, in progressive, uh, in progressive movements and spaces, and uh, it is also very important, you know, for us to build these connections beyond the the, the world of Palestinian advocacy and, and politics. As Rifat said, our struggle overlaps and intersects with many other struggles around the world and that's what we're trying to do uh, by putting this book out there and by putting these stories out there uh, knowledge entails responsibility and i think this is what this book uh, tr- uh, tries to do uh, i will uh, i think th- the time has come uh, to answer some of the questions from our audience um, i have a few questions and rifat and musab please feel free to address them uh, and uh, so we have a question from uh, Natalie, um, uh, basically saying, can, asking, can we discuss how and why Gaza has become more restricted in recent years? And I know this is, you know, the, we, we provide context for the, the bigger history of how Gaza ended up in this uh, in this situation, but. But, I, but any any answers from you to this question would be really appreciated, especially because you live there, your experience is on the ground, and you're familiar with the situation. Rifat, you're still muted. Sorry. Gaza has long been uh, restricted and besieged for decades, but uh, people have started paying attention recently. Every aspect of Palestine, quite Palestine, is under the Israelis can just, Israeli jeeps in the West Bank can just crawl into any neighborhood close like they did with the uh, uh, human rights organizations in, in the world. People are paying attention more thanks to, there is also a blockade uh, in Western uh, mainstream media, uh, television, but with, thanks to social media, people have started uh, uh, paying attention. I remember people even early in the 90s uh, with family members saying that they were sent back, Israel did not allow them to 
either through Egypt or to go to the West Bank or to Jordan. So the punishments were always there. The restrictions were always there because occupation brings the siege. Uh, uh, the siege was heightened even uh, more uh, in, uh, uh, after Hamas won the election in 2006. But the, the, the news of this news was tightened even before during the, first, the second intifada. Because, and probably Gaza is being punished more than any, any place uh, because of what Gaza stands for, of what Gaza means. Gaza is literally, almost literally a thorn in Israel's throat. And in the throat of all those occupying powers around the world and those periods and colonies. Gaza uh, is a symbol. Gaza is a reality, a harsh reality. People who traversed, oppressed, downtrodden, and yet fighting back, yet trying uh, uh, to, to regain, uh, to restore their rights. And the more uh, we fight back, more Israel uh, punishes us. And because Israel hopes that we would give up. And Israel is doing this, by the way, to, to areas in the West Bank, in Nablus. Jenin, look at what Israel is doing in in 2000, I think about more than uh, around 150 people were killed, have been killed so far in 2001. 100 of them were killed in this bank and a fire for 50 were killed in three days in Gaza, including more than two. So there are a lot more people being killed currently in this bank than in Gaza, because Israel doesn't want any Palestinian to try even to think of, uh, of, uh, of fighting back. So Gaza is being punished more. Gaza is being the focus of uh, social media attention and people are talking about Gaza uh, uh, all over the, the internet. But mainly Israel wants to, to tell everybody that if you fight back like Gaza, we'll punish you, restrict even the medicine. For some time, Israel was counting the calories entering Gaza, making sure that everybody gets this amount of calories. This is extreme. This all only happens this to be a movie, but Israel did this to uh, 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 Gaza. You are muted, Jihad. Thanks, Musab. Um, we'll take two more questions uh, because we have uh, five, five. If I may, yeah. Yeah, if, if I just may address the yeah, question yeah. just very quickly. I mean, just as Rifat said, I mean, Gaza has been restricted for for so long, I mean, as long as there is occupation, there is restrictions. Uh, but more restrictions have been imposed after 2007, after uh, after a blockade was imposed by uh, Israel, by the world, and especially because was there is still a heightening uh, political dispute between uh, the two main parties, Hamas and Fatah. Um, so there there are there are punishments that are uh, directed against the. Uh, Gazan population, there is discrimination against the Palestinian Authority's employees who are in Gaza. So, for example, uh, my uh, one of my relatives uh, is a PA uh, employee, and he's thinking about going to the West Bank to change his ID 
location so that he, he can get full salary rather than getting 60 or 70 percent of his salary because he is based in Gaza. So there is there there, there are more to think about when it comes to restrictions in Gaza. It's the occupation, it's the siege, it's a political rift, the nasty uh, political rift, which adds more and more salt to injury. Thank you, Musab. Uh, there is another question. Um, basically says, uh, hearing these stories from Gaza is incredibly moving, uh, in part because of how little the voices of those in Gaza appear in American media. Besides sharing the book, what can we do here in the States to make sure that more people hear about what's happening? The hope is that in knowing more people will be moved to solidarity and action. I think this is a very significant uh, question. Uh, there are thousands of Palestinians all over social media. Uh, many Palestinians who write for the Republican Intifada, Mondawites, uh, Middle East Eye, Middle East Al Jazeera, and other websites. Uh, these uh, voices, these articles, these pieces need to be have to be shared. Uh, if you are in a community where uh, there are BDS, uh, boycott, uh, uh, divestment and sanctions uh, chapters, for example, if you are at university, reach out to those people, uh, listen to their arguments, participate in their activities. If you attend political uh, gatherings, for example, ask people running for office questions about uh, Palestine, what should be done to end the occupation, to end the apartheid, or at least to ease the suffering of Palestinians, talk to your friends, to, uh, uh, to your family members in gatherings, uh, uh, and share these stories with them. This is, this is significant. The, the, the story need, needs to be told and, and retold. And at the same time, the story needs to create activism, to mobilize people, create pressure. Uh, and I think thanks to what so many people have been doing, uh, Palestine is now uh, 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 the story of Palestine is being told and retold, despite the fact that Israel does a lot of pressure, despite the, the, the racism and the bigotry we find in the New York Times and the Washington Post, uh, in, in, uh, on TV and CNN, for example, there are people who, in the American media, who are sometimes more extreme than Israeli uh, military uh, leaders and officials, or some of them could be based Israeli propaganda. So we need to tell the story, retell the story, and share it with people around us and, and put pressure on officials around us. I I just like what Rifat says. Uh, this is one of Rifat's uh, mottos, which is, Palestine is a story away. And when I signed the book for Rifat while I was in Gaza, I wrote to him, Palestine is a poem away. And what I'm talking, what what I'm saying to this, the the uh, the asker of this question is that Palestine is a voice away. So we need your voice. We need you to to speak out uh, and and talk to others about this issue. Invite uh, speakers. Invite writers to talk to your community. Uh, be engaged. I mean, by writing, by speaking, by taking to the street. If there is, God forbid, any any aggression against Gaza or the West Bank or anywhere in the world. So your voice matters, just like the words we are writing. Thank you. Thank you, Musab. Uh, we have five more minutes before I conclude this event. Uh, and I, and I, I would like for our audience to uh, 
you know, uh, stick till the end because I'll be sharing details about the book tour, which will start in a couple of weeks. Um, but uh, th- there is uh, another question um, about rage, uh, a question from uh, Philomena. I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Uh, who says that they spent only two weeks in the West Bank with a group of students and was filled with rage? How do you, um, how do you, those who are there, manage the rage? Maybe by writing. How do we manage the rage? Mm, that's a that's a very important. At the same time, I think it's a very painful question. I think. Palestinian is a father. I don't usually share his uh, ideas with my wife or family members. There's usually more regret sometimes than rage. The regret that one time I decided to get married and have kids, to bring kids to this world, to this unfair world, to this unjust world, to the world where Israel can just butcher and massacre and, 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 and destroy uh, Palestinians at will, well, and nobody uh, can do anything, but do anything to, to sometimes uh, this uh, rage comes in the form of, of pain, of helplessness. It's this kind of, of rage uh, is, is with us 24-7, even as we sleep. If you uh, listen carefully, probably you will, you will hear the sound, the buzzing sound of the drone. That Israel wants to remind us that it can control, it does control every tiny little aspect of our our lives. Uh, it, and it is very infuriating in many ways. Let us live. Sometimes I'm asked this question, what is the solution? And I say, at least this is Israel clutching, like suffocating us. Say, but first, like, like stop suffocating us. Let us breathe. Let us get some oxygen, some freedom. Let us regain our ability to speak, to voice our concerns and hopes and concerns and everything. And then we can talk about about this. And and yes, we can release this by so many ways, by tweeting angrily. And and you know what? What is even more outrageous is that sometimes when we tweet about this rage, we tweet about this anger. Even during in 2021, we would be tweeting like like almost. Uh, I, I was living in. I, I live. Uh, I'm living currently in that city, the heart of Gaza City. And sometimes, uh, uh, even in the safest place in Gaza, you get debris and shrapnel from bombs hitting the walls of your flat where you live. Like expecting this at any moment. And when you would be tweeting angrily, shouting. People would be mocking you. Israelis, Zionists, Israeli trolls, and pro-Israelis would be making fun of you and even even sending you threats and death threats and making light of your pain and, and suffering. So even when we are angry, we are not allowed to, uh, to 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 voice this this kind of anger. But like you said, yeah, writing, tweeting, talking, telling stories. These are significant ways to tell the people about our pain and anger. Um, thank you, Rifat. And, and I think, if, uh, Musab, I would like for you to answer this question by reading your poem, uh, Rose Shoulders Up. Uh, 
which is uh, included in in the book uh, Musab contributed with one more, more than one uh, poem uh, to the, to this anthology, and I think it's it's uh, it's the proper conclusion for. Uh, today's event, um, and after that, I will talk about uh, the the tour and uh, other logistical things. So, Musab, please go ahead. You're muted, Musab. Musab. Okay, thank you, Jihad. Um, so, the title of the poem is "A Rose Shoulders Up." It's it's a small poem, four lines. Don't ever be surprised to see a rose shoulder up among the ruins of the house. This is how we survive. Thank you. Thank you, Musab. Uh, we, um, in, in the book, there are photos that are matched with, uh, with all, all of the chapters and the poems, and I think, and I, uh, and I know that we we chose a photo that resembles the the poppy rose, uh, which has a symbolic uh, you know value in in Palestinian uh, thought. Um, thank you so much, Rafat Larir and Musab Abu Toha, for sharing your time and for sharing your reflections and writing with us today. And thank you to those who attended today's event uh, for showing up, for asking questions. I know we haven't been able to answer all of the questions, but I hope you will find some answers in the book and you will join us in future events. And if you are in one of the cities uh, in which the book tour will, will take place, we welcome you again uh, to hear from uh, two of the authors. Please make sure to check out AFSC's Gaza campaign, www.gazaunlocked.org, and our anthology page, uh, gazaunlocked.org slash anthology, for information about the book and future events. AFSC is organizing a speaking tour featuring uh, two of the authors published in Lighting Gaza, Writings Born of Fire, in October 2022. AFSC will also be planning a series of online events with authors in 2022 and 2023. For more information and ways to connect with us, please email us at gazaunlocked at afsc.org. Um, so... Uh, with that, I would like to conclude today's event. Thank you so much for participating, Rifat and Musab. Thank you again, and uh, please, you know, join us in the in future events, in person or virtually. And uh, and until then, please do not forget Gaza. Please do not forget Palestinians in Gaza. Please keep us in your minds, hearts, and action. Thank you so much, and uh, appreciate you all coming today. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, subscribe to our podcast and to the Haymarket Books YouTube channel, where events like this one are hosted live. And don't forget to check out haymarketbooks.org.